0: With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about the Ayin Aleph, page 71. We begin a second line into the Gemara. If somebody stole something, an animal, and he shechted it, he slaughtered it on Yom Kippur. So we said in the Mishnah that there will be an obligation to pay the monetary value. And the implication of that is that there's no obligation for death. Therefore, we don't say, Kim we don't say that there's a greater punishment. And therefore, he will have to pay the monetary value. So now the Gemara says, Amri. And we say like this. Why is that so? Granted, there's no death. There is a concept that a person who does this has to be lashed. The Kaimalan and we have established the Eina Loike that if someone has to have a greater punishment, for example, lashes, and it's also at the same time he's incurred an obligation to pay, so he's not going to have to pay as long as he has to have lashes. So then why do we say in the Mishnah that there is an obligation to pay? If anything, there should be no obligation to pay because he has to have lashes. So we answer, Amri, huh, money. We say like this, Who is this Mishnah? Rabbi Meir, it's Rabbi Meir, the Amar, who says, that in fact, you can have lashes and also pay. Even though there's a greater punishment, you're still going to have the monetary obligation. The Amar says, Wait, I, Rabbi Meir, if that's Rabbi Meir, if it's true that our Mishnah is him, So even in a case where a person slaughtered on Shabbos, so we said in the Mishnah, And we said the implication was, and we said this explicitly in the Brisa, that if he has an obligation for death on Shabbos, so therefore there would be no obligation to pay for the monetary issues. And according to Urban mayor, there should be. Why? Because he holds that you can have a greater punishment and also have to pay the monetary issues. And if you want to say that maybe Rabbi Mayer holds that there's a difference between a case where you have to get mucked, we have to get lashes. There he holds that you could also have to pay. But in regards to a case where you have to be killed, so there there won't be any obligation for monetary compensation is it true that he holds that he, you wouldn't have to pay in such a case if there's death that explicitly seems to say not that way if somebody stole something and slaughtered it on Shabbos somebody stole it and he slaughtered it in the name of an idolatry somebody stole an animal which is supposed to be stoned and he slaughtered it in all three of these cases you have to pay the monetary issues four or five times the value the messages say that there's no obligation so we see that Rabbi and he argues about this point as well, and he holds that even though there's death, there still is going to be an obligation to pay for monetary compensations. So the Gemara says, "Amri, we say like this: Barmi Nadahi. No you can't prove anything from that case. The high is Marla. was stated about that. Amri Yako. Rabbi Yako says, Amri Yechanan in the name of Rabbi Yechanan. The Amri law, Amri Yeremia, and there are those who say was Rabbi Yeremia, Amri Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, and then Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, Rabbi Avin, Rabbi Lo, and Rabbi Avin and Rabbi Lo, and the whole group of sages, Mishmedi Rabbi Yechanan, said in the name of Rabbi Yechanan." Amri as follows, What's the case over here? The reason that Rabbi Meir would say that there is an obligation is because we're talking about a specific case where you slaughtered it, you sent someone else to slaughter it, you didn't do it yourself, you made a messenger. And therefore, that's why there's an obligation for you, according to Rambam, to pay for the fact that you slaughtered it, even though you haven't personally done the slaughtering. So there's no kimla; you don't have a chay so You don't have an obligation to be killed. Therefore, you can have a monetary obligation to pay for the monetary losses. The Chiz of the asks, "Hold on a second. How could it be that one person slaughters it? He's doing a sin, and he's going to create an obligation on you, the person who sent him to do something wrong? We have a concept that there's there. You can't send someone else to do a sin for you. So how could it be that in this case there's there's an obligation on the person who sent the other person to slaughter. I'm a Ravas so Rav says Shani hacha, hacha. It's different over here. Dhamma have a special verse that teaches you that there will be an obligation in this case because it says so, The verse is if you shall take the animal that you stole and slaughter it or sell it. So why is it putting the two cases together, slaughtering it or selling it? It's going to teach you like this, just like you have, if you want to be able to enter into this obligation, or in order for someone to have the obligation, to pay four or five times the amount, so you can sell it. So selling it can only be done... Through somebody else, you can only, you can to yourself. So too, there will be an obligation where it's slaughtered via someone else as well. If you create a shlech, you create a messenger. The the Yeshiva Rabbi so they learned it out from a different source. The verse says, "If you shall slaughter it or sell it," so the word "or" is extra. The rabbi says a shlech is coming to include even in a case where you did it through someone else. The the yeshiva So they had a different source Tachas, The says, the verse says You pay five times the amount of the value In place of the thing that you originally stole So it uses the word in place of Which is extra So that word in place of tachas, comes to teach you That you can be in place of another person It's an extra word and It's coming to give you a drasha To teach you that you can have someone else Work in your place In regards to slaughtering And therefore there will still be an obligation Even though you haven't done it yourself now they challenges. have our challenges, my sister asks the following question, Do we ever find something where if the person himself would do it, he wouldn't have an obligation, right? Because if he does it over here, so he's liable for death, and therefore he wouldn't have any monetary obligation. But now that this shliach, the messenger is doing it, so now he's going to have an obligation? And I think the understanding of the question is, that since there already is a requirement for death, so and who would that be on the part of the person who is the shliach, the messenger? So therefore, it should, uh, there shouldn't be any obligation for monetary values to be paid in such a circumstance. That's what he's really asking. Um, Re-Ravashi, Re-Ravashi says, No, you're making a mistake. The reason over there where the person himself does it, it's not because he doesn't have an obligation not to pay. He does have an obligation. El But We have a concept that when you have two obligations, you have a monetary obligation and a liability for death, so you only get one out of the two obligations, the greater one of the two. Now, so that's in that case. So, but in the case where there's, uh, where someone else has slaughtered it, he's done it through a Shliathra messenger. So then only one person, each person has a different obligation. So he who has obligation for death, he gets death. Then he who has obligation for the monetary value. So there's no killing, but the there's no two choices for him. Therefore, he only pays the monetary value. But indeed, in a case where he had done it himself, Ba'at Sam, at its core, so he would have to pay the monetary value, but he just, there's a technicality that he doesn't says, if the case is indeed talking about where someone else has done it, it was slaughtering." through a messenger, my time at the why are the sages saying that there's no obligation? If he hasn't done, he doesn't have an obligation for death, so therefore he should have to pay the monetary value. Why are the sages saying that there's no obligation? Val- no obligation? we say like this, who are the sages, Rabbi Shimon? It's Rabbi who says, that when a person does a slaughtering, which is not a fitting slaughtering, so it's not considered that you slaughtered, and therefore, the only time that we say that there's an obligation to pay four or five times the value is only when you've indeed slaughtered it properly. But here you didn't. So the Gemara says, hold on, Amri, really, we say like this, in the case where you slaughtered it for idolatry, or the case where you slaughtered an animal that was supposed to be killed, so that's completely an invalid slaughtering. But slaughtering on Shabbos, that is indeed a proper slaughtering that was done. It was done at the time which was, when it was forbidden, but the slaughtering itself is a, is a fine slaughtering. that's not we have a Mishnah. If somebody slaughters something on Shabbos or Yom Kippur, even though he has an obligation to be killed, the slaughtering that he's done is fine. So we say like this, Amri The reason is because he holds like a who holds, that in fact, when you slaughter on Shabbos and you did it intentionally, it's not considered a good slaughtering at all. It's not, we have a mission like this. Somebody cooks something on Shabbos unintentionally, so it's permitted for him to eat it. holds If you did it intentionally, however, you're not going to be allowed to eat that thing. Since someone has transgressed one of the transgressions on Shabbos, and allowed to cook on Shabbos. So if one indeed did that, if you did it unintentionally, you can eat it according to the If you did it intentionally, you he can't eat it. He can't benefit from it. Reb Yehuda, Yehuda says, "Bishvaygig, if he did it unintentionally, so after the Sabbath he can eat it. But if he did it intentionally, he can never eat it forever." Reb Yechanasaner says, "Bishvaygig, when it's a case where it was done unintentionally, so only someone else can eat it on But he himself can't eat it. But if it was done intentionally, it's not permitted for him to eat it forever. Not him and not anyone else." My time at Rabbi Yehonasan What's the understanding of Rabbi Yehonasan Le? Why does he say this? Rabbi like Le said the following drasha when he was standing on the in the entrance to the house of the nasi of the prince. The verse says, "She'll keep the Shabbos because it's holy unto you." It says, "Holy unto you." What is what is it coming to teach you with the word "holy"? It's going to teach you just like something that was made holy unto the temple. So it's forbidden to eat it. So if somebody intentionally eats something, I'm sorry, intentionally cooks something on Shabbos. This, it's forbidden to eat it, just like something which is holy unto the temple. So if we find regards to something which belongs to the Temple, someone is not allowed to get any benefit from it, so we should say the same thing regards to something which was cooked on Shabbos, one should not be able to have any benefit from it, which is not true. That's why it says, That The verse says it's holy unto you. What does it mean? Unto you, it's still considered yours, you can't have benefit from it. Let's say if you want, you can feed it to your dog. You might think that even if it was done unintentionally, that you wouldn't be allowed to have any benefit from it, you couldn't even eat from it so that's why the verse says those who transgress they're going to they're going to die it's talking about somebody who's the verse talking about that you can't have any benefit from it someone who's done it intentionally so but not if we're talking about somebody who's done it unintentionally then he can indeed eat from that thing so there's actually an argument about this in regards to the following between Ravach and Ravin. one says, if somebody makes something on Shabbos and he wants to know if he can benefit from it, one says from the Torah it's, if it's forbidden, and one says that it's only from the sages that it's forbidden. The one who says it's from the Torah, it says, as we just said, as we just derived it from the pasuk, from the verse. According to the one who says that it's from the sages, Amar we have a verse that says, that the thing is holy. What's it talking about? It's not talking about the thing that you made on Shabbos. He, the Shabbos itself is holy. Vain myself, Kodesh. And the implication is that something that was made on Shabbos doesn't have a holy status and therefore we're making it forbidden so according to this person this that we say that it's forbidden to eat something that was made on Shabbos is only, made there bond and only from the sages sage as I said that they're afraid perhaps that if we allow you to eat it so then you're going to come to do it in the future you're going to think that it's okay but from the Torah itself so we don't see that the thing that was made in a forbidden manner is actually forbidden to be eaten now, according to the one who says That this, that if a person slaughters something Let's say an animal on Shabbos He does a forbidden act on Shabbos So it's from the Torah that it's forbidden to eat that thing So that would say that the slaughtering is an invalid slaughtering So based on that We understand Onto the top of 71b We understand why The sages said that there's no obligation in such a case For him to pay four or five times Why? Because he hasn't slaughtered, slaughtered it properly According to the one who says that it's only from the rabbis That they say that there's no that it's not considered a good slaughtering and therefore will be forbidden to eat. So, but according to them, the adsem from the Torah, it is considered good slaughtering. My So, why did the sages say that there's no obligation to pay for four or five times? you slaughtered it. Just from the sages that it's not considered a good slaughtering. But you have slaughtered it and you should have an obligation to pay four or five times. So, our answer is Asha'ara, that when we say that there's no obligation according to the sages, it's going on the other case, zara in the case where you slaughtered it towards an idolatry of on and Nisqal, you slaughtered an animal which was meant to be killed. But indeed, if you had slaughtered an animal on child, is, it's considered a good slaughtering from the Torah, and therefore you would have an obligation to pay four or five times, even according to the sages. To challenges, Rabbi Meir. Why does he say that there's an obligation to pay if you slaughtered it towards an idolatry? We have a very big problem with that. came in the Shachid Bapurta, because as soon as the person slaughters it, even a drop, he has not even come close to completing the slaughtering. Asra, so it's made the animal forbidden. Because when a person slaughters an animal to idolatry, it makes the animal completely forbidden. Idich, isrihano now the animal becomes forbidden because it was slaughtered to, to idolatry it no longer belongs to the original owner and therefore you haven't when you complete the slaughtering you haven't slaughtered something that belongs to the guy you stole it from anymore so why would you have to pay four or five times you haven't slaughtered something that you stole that belonged to him anymore um, Rabbi Rabbi explains that the cases where the person who is slaughtering specifically said that he's not, he doesn't want it to be considered that he's served this idolatry until he finishes the slaughtering and therefore it's it doesn't become, it doesn't go out of the domain of the person that it, was, that it belonged to originally until after the slaughtering is completely done and therefore there is an obligation to pay four or five times. Now, like Amar says, sure, Haniskol, in the case where someone slaughtered an animal that was supposed to be stoned, Yisura so the animal, the, the person who owns it, can't get any benefit from it. And therefore why is it considered that you're slaughtering something that belongs to the original owners? You haven't slaughtered something that's theirs. I mean, if anything, it's even difficult to say that you actually stole something that belongs to him. It doesn't belong to him, the animal has to be killed, he can't get any benefit from it. Amar Explains like this: my skin. What's the case over here? A very specific case. Muster the shomer. who owns the animal, he gave it over to Shimon the shomer, the guardian. The And while it was in the possession of the guardian, so the animal caused damage. the Besa And then it, when it caused damage three times, or killed somebody three times, while it was in the house in the possession of the guardian. The And the the animal, the judgment was passed on it that it had to be killed while it still belonged, this was still in the possession of the guardian. And now, leaving the gun, the third party comes along and steals it. So, what happens here? He's stolen it from a guy. He's stolen it from the guardian. Now, what's the ramifications of that? Rabbi Meir says like Rabbi Yaakov. Rabbi Meir will hold like Rabbi Yaakov, as Kirby like Shimon, and like Rabbi Shimon. What's that going to help? This as follows. He holds like Rabbi Yaakov. He holds like Rabbi Yaakov, who says that now the shomer, even though the animal has to be killed, if he wants, to, he can take the animal that's supposed to be killed and return it back. To the original owners, even though he has to return back a good animal, he can return back the animal as it is, and his and his yotzah fulfills his obligation to give back the animal to the original owners. So now you stole it from this person who could could have returned it, right? So now that you've done that, so you owe him the animal that he could have returned. And he also could the who holds even though this animal has no value intrinsically because that has to be killed, but still it would prevent the person, the shomer, the guardian, from having to pay the original owner is any money that they pay for the animal that, that he had been watching right, if he doesn't give back the animal, so he has to pay the original owners for the animal that he was watching so now by stealing it, you've prevented him from being able to give back the animal, and you've created an obligation for him to pay and therefore that's why you, the Ganev the person who stole it, will indeed have an obligation to pay, the times we have in the Mishnah Rabbi Shimon, I mean, says, that if a person, let's say, steals something which is Kodshim, right Ruvain said, I want to make my animal, I want it to go to the temple, so now it no longer belongs to Ruvain it belongs to the temple, but nevertheless despite the fact that it's in his possession, and..." Actually, in the possession of hektish of the temple, if someone comes along and steals it. They're really stealing from the temple. But since this person accepted upon himself an acharai, it's an obligation that if it gets lost or stolen, he's going to have to pay for it. So therefore, there is an obligation on the person who stole it, as if he stole from the person himself. He'll have to pay Kevilipet, pay, pay, pay double. And the reason is Alma. We can deduce the moment. dummy. that when there's something which it doesn't have intrinsic value to him, it's not his. But nevertheless, if, if it's lost, it's going to cause him to have to pay the value of the thing. It's a secondary it's a secondary thing nevertheless it's considered like the person stole that thing so we see we can say the same thing over here as well and that's, that's how you can have a case where you have an obligation on a person who's slaughtering an animal which is supposed to be stoned to pay for the four or five times despite the fact that the animal has no value intrinsically or doesn't belong fully to the person that it's being stolen from um, Rav Kahana Rav Kahan says, "I said over this entire sugya in front of Rav Ziv from Nardom. He and in and he asked the following challenge. We said that the Mishnah is like Rabi We wanted to understand why is it that there's an obligation to pay for the monetary damages if a person is also getting mukas? If let's say someone is shechts, he slaughters it on Yom Kippur, so he's also going to get lashes for doing something which is forbidden on Yom Kippur, and despite the fact that there's also going to be a monetary obligation. So we said it's according to Rabi who says that you can have lashes and you can also get the monetary." obligations. So, that's the implication. Sikmar so says, is it true that you can establish it's only like Rabbi Meir, but like Rabbi Shimon, and not like Rabbi Shimon, and Rabbi Shimon holds, that if you would indeed get Malchus, once you're getting those lashes, you can't have to pay the monetary value. But we're going to see that the implication is from the Mishnah that Rabbi Shimon agrees that you would have to pay. So, what's going to be the explanation? We said in the end, Rabbi Shimon that Rabbi says there's no obligation in specifically these two cases. The implication is, can then the Rest of the Mishnah and all the other cases, he wouldn't agree. Even in the case where, where a person slaughtered it on Yom Kippur. So what's the understanding? How could it be? Omrelay. So he's responded and said, "You're making a mistake. No, where is it that he agrees? Not in the case of yom kippur. In the case of yom kippur, so in fact, he'll hold that there is no obligation. But where does he hold that you will have an obligation to pay in the case where you slaughtered it for dogs or you slaughtered it for a cure? Because there, the slaughtering was done properly, and therefore you haven't done an invalid slaughtering." So according to Rishim, it comes out that there are two different t- types of cases where there will ne- be no obligation. One is where you didn't slaughter properly at all. So therefore, there's no obligation to pay four or five because you didn't slaughter it. And the other cases where you have Malkus, let's say on Yom Kippur, where you have an obligation to be- tap lashes, since you have a higher obligation, so you won't also have to incur the penalty of having to pay four or five times. We continue. We said on the mission of somebody steals from his father and then he slaughters it, or he sells it. so If afterwards the father dies, so he's going to have an obligation to pay four or five times. <inaudible> Rav asks the following question of Rav Nachman. If this is somebody steals an ox which belongs to two partners, and then he slaughters it, so now he owes four or five times, but he goes and he admits to one of them that he has done this, he's stolen it, and he owes and he slaughtered it. And the concept is, Rashi right? explains that uh, when somebody admits that he owes a fine, and it's just a fine, it's four or five times, so he's no obligation to actually pay the fine. So now, so to one of them he admitted, to the other one he has not admitted. So now when two witnesses are gonna come along and say that he owes this money, is he going to have to pay the, the second person? Khamisha Bakr Rahman, Bakr The Torah says he had to pay five times. Maybe it doesn't maybe it means and not five halves. Like perhaps. Khamisha Rahman, the Torah says five times. Maybe that would include even five halves. So at first, so the response was that you have to pay you can only pay five times and not five halves. So the Gemara challenges. I'll ask you a question from our mission from this case. Someone steals from his father and he slaughters it and he sells it. the father dies. So he has to pay four or five times. The Gemara says, In this case, since the father has died. So it's similar to a case where someone has gone and admitted to one of the partners. Why? Because over here, let's say he has some brothers. So in regards to his own portion, he doesn't have to pay four or five times. But in regards to the other brothers, so he'll have to pay their. their four or five times that being the case what is it it says that you do have to pay so that shows that proves that you will have to pay in fact part of the four or five times which is not like what we just said so he responded and said, "What are we dealing with over here?" That the father, before the father passed away, so he brought his son to court. So that's why he has to pay four or five times. But if he had not brought him to court, my Then he doesn't have to pay four or five times. If that's the case, this it says in the end of the Mishnah that if he steals from his father and the father died, and then he went and he slaughtered it or he sold it, then he doesn't have to pay four or five times why don't we say a case in the case itself when do we say that he has to pay four or five times when the father got up and brought him to court but if he hasn't brought him to court then he won't have to pay four or five times why do we have to go on to a new case where the father died before so he responded and said we could have answered that we could have said that in the Mishnah however I did not Mishal that Once we say in the first case of the Mishnah, where he stole it from his father, and the father dies afterwards, so we also want to say another case where the father died, and that's the thing that we switch around, and then he went and he slaughtered it, and he uh, sold it. Let's stop for the next morning. So he changed his answer. He said, "Actually, the Torah says when it says five, you have to pay five. So you can even have to pay five halves." So why didn't I tell you this answer last night? On the top seventy-two a. This is an expression which means, because I hadn't actually delved into the matter very well and I hadn't thought about it enough, but in fact, it's included in that which the Torah says you have to pay five times, it could be even five halves. So what's the difference between the first part of the Mishnah and the second part of the Mishnah? meaning, because now, we don't have to establish and say that the first part of the mission is talking about where the father brought him to court. No, it could be talking about where he didn't bring him to court, and he still has to pay, once he has an obligation to pay, when the father dies afterwards, so there's going to be an obligation for him to pay, because the obligation came before, and therefore, that's why in that case, well, what's the reason, why in the first part of the case does he have to pay? In the first part of the mission, where the father died later on, why does he have to pay? In the second part, even if the father dies earlier on, also there are brothers, and he's shacking, he's slaughtering something that belongs to his brothers, so why doesn't he indeed have to pay? Relate- so he he responds and says, In the first case where it still belongs completely to the father, so that then it's considered that he's slaughtered something completely in a forbidden way. Safer, but in the second case where the father died first, so now it partly belongs to him as well as his brothers. Like And therefore we won't say that it's considered that he's done something which is completely forbidden, because he's also slaughtering something that partly belongs to him.